Hello and welcome, my name is Mark. My name is also Mark. And welcome to The Marketing Show. Just so we're clear, we are both called Mark. That is correct. Join us as we uncover the principles that make businesses succeed. Each week, we'll lean into a new marketing concept to uncover a new piece of the puzzle. We're a couple of marketing guys who are passionate about the craft and always hungry to learn more. So we're excited to have you along for our learning journey. And on today's episode, we'll be learning about... Social media! Well, Mark, um, I'm over here just scrolling on my phone. Um, it's just, a bit rude. <laughs> I'm, 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 well, I'm just really just engaged with all this content at the moment, um, and I'm commenting and I'm liking. I might even share something later today. I feel like you as an engagement rate metric would be off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> just liking and commenting on everything. <laughs> Look, I think um, it's cool. Like social media, you know, has comes up within marketing so much. And it's probably one of the areas that you know under the digital marketing banner, which all of us as marketers have to learn about, but. It's always changing as well. So it's a really cool topic for us to kind of take a step back and understand some of the basics and recap some of the basic principles in social media that regardless of algorithm changes or new apps coming out, they stay pretty constant. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, it's constantly changing, but there's also just so many things going on in social media. And what I mean by that is different metrics. You could be tracking different types of content, different platforms. And I think part of navigating it is working out not what everything means, but what you need to do for your brand and what works for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, when it comes to social media, uh, they, you know, there's there's many different platforms which you can use. But I guess from the top line, in terms of some of the things we'll be learning about today, we'll be looking at marketing using uh, social networking accounts specifically. So they might be using things such as paid promotion, community engagement. Uh, but however, this we won't be touching on things like SEM and SEO because there's not a community or an engagement component within that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So as a bit of a definition from my end on what social media marketing actually is or what we're defining it as, uh, it's uh, using a source of network connectivity, which has a two-way interaction between the platform users and other users as well as advertisers being part of that conversation. So as you said, there's always uh, an opportunity for engagement and interaction between users and the brand rather than one-way communication, which a lot of traditional media uses, which is just, here's our ad. Yeah, definitely. Like I think it would be funny if you think back to times when families were watching TVs and when you watch the when you would watch uh, traditional advertising uh, during the nightly news. You might all have an opinion on the advertisement or the piece of creative, but very rarely was that kind of heard or, or seen or, or spoken about. Whereas now you can watch TV with a phone in your hand, see the piece of traditional advertising, and even engage with it on the on the specific advertiser's uh, social media account. So you really have that two way connection. Yeah, it's, it's a blessing and a curse as an advertiser, isn't it? Because sometimes they're things that you want to hear. Yeah. Uh, and maybe sometimes you hear some harsh truths about uh, what you're doing as well. Um, but in terms of a bit of a history of social media, I, I found this fascinating mm. uh, because I'd never really thought beyond probably MySpace uh, in terms yeah. of where, where did social media really start? 
Uh, and so what I could find uh, through a quick search was that one of the first, if not the first, uh, social media site was called sixdegrees.com. Mm. And Six Degrees operated under the notion that everyone is separated by six degrees. Uh, you had to have a, uh, an invite from a friend, which sort of plays into that narrative uh, to actually join up. And you could only join with people, yeah, you join with people who are within that six degree network, if that makes sense. So that was sort of the first, uh, I guess, foray into social media and connecting people and tribes of people together. Um, but then other social networks started to pop up. And I guess what the trend is that I, I can see is that initially a lot of these social media sites were based around specific interests or groups of people. So instead of having a big social network like we have now, like Facebook, where groups or tribes sort of operate or connect within that social network, it started out as things like uh, the, one of the early ones was called Asian Avenue, which was mm. for people living in America uh, of Asian descent who wanted to uh, connect with each other. Uh, things like couch surfing. So very specific people traveling, looking for a place to stay, but was also a social interaction network. Um, and you got things like Last FM, which was mm. about music, uh, Flickr, about photos. And then from there, it started to go into things like LinkedIn was actually one of the earlier sort of broader based social networks, even if it is specific to business, a little bit broader. And then MySpace. Yeah. And from there, it sort of becomes the social media sort of networks that we know today. Yeah, definitely. I think social media is so fascinating, right? Like we take it for granted these days, but could you imagine being in the 1800s when you would have just gone to the town square at a specific point in time to then speak about that topic right there and then? Like we really take for granted the fact that we can open our phones or our computers um, and engage with people on a whole range of interests. And you know, from a positive note, think about the friendships um, within these specific interests that you can form online now that you would have never had the opportunity to do mm. back in the day. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's good and bad, right? Because mm. uh, you can now be making that sort of statement in the, the town square behind a computer where no one can see. Yeah. So there's a lot of negative things that come from that, but we're not really focusing on, on those people's behaviors today. Um, but as you said, heaps of really positive stuff that comes out of it. That interaction between like-minded individuals and connection is, is something that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, Mark, I guess what are some of the top stats when it comes to social media at the moment? I'm glad you asked. Um, well, look, I wanted to give, I guess, a sense of uh, how big social media usage is and, and how much it's growing and still growing. So currently, if, if we put a lens of business on this, and we're going to be talking about marketing. So um, you've got 1.6 billion people who currently are connected to a business's page on Facebook. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a big proportion of total Facebook users as well. So Facebook, um, they have monthly active users is the measure that they used to see how many people are using their platform. And that's been growing since every quarter since they launched. And it's mm. still growing. Um, so we've got data up to Q2 2019 from Statista. Uh, it's currently sitting at 2.414 billion monthly active users which is crazy. The biggest markets for Facebook are India, where they've got 270 million users, USA, 190 million. And then surprising for me, Indonesia. Yeah. Indonesia, 130 million Facebook users. It, it surprised me because Indonesia is such a small place, but it's just extremely densely packed with people, actually. It's quite a large population there. Um, so in terms of what are the most popular social ne networks, um, as 
this is uh, from the USA uh, as of June. So this changes market to market, but this is what I could find. Number one was Facebook. You've got Instagram, Facebook Messenger coming in at three there. Twitter, Pinterest, Snapchat, uh, oh, sorry, Snap, uh, Reddit, WhatsApp, and Tumblr down mm. there. Um, so that's sort of the ranking. Um, and something I found that's really cool in terms of a trend on social media in general. And I think this is something to sort of set the scene and for us to be aware of as we talk about how we communicate with people is there's this sort of consumer behavior trend of what they're calling public displays of connection. Mm. And what this means is that when you're, when you're on social media um, or trying to talk to people on social media as a brand, you need to be aware that the version of them that is on social media is almost like their ego, like their ideal version of themselves sometimes. Uh, And it, doesn't always closely represent the real person you're talking to. So as we use social media as a, um, a medium to talk to people, we need to remember who we're talking to. And, and that's the person behind the screen, not the person that you see in your screen, if that mm. makes sense. So I think it's just a note to say that people will sort of, I guess, amplify their, their existence online. Uh, and we just need to be aware of that. Yeah, definitely. Like you can have completely separate identities, you know, value systems, beliefs, separate culture. Even if, you know, if it's a social media platform that enables profile pictures, uh, you might have a different way of dressing or presenting yourself visually um, to your community. And all those things are like incredibly fascinating and, and so detailed. And you're right. I think it's important to remember the person behind the screen, um, especially from a marketing perspective in terms of who we're targeting, then also overlaying that with who they're going to actually identify with when they're online and yeah. how they're actually going to behave when they're there. Yeah, exactly. Look, and I know, Mark, that you've got your six Instagram accounts, so you can A-B test every post. Um, so we need to be aware of that kind of thing as well. There might be some duplication in the audience. Look, I think we'll come back to it later, but you know, we know we should all always be testing so to get to get the best possible results no judgment here (laughs) um uh, on that note i think um i would also got a quote to to kick us off and to get us into the mind state of of the world of social media and the quote is content is fire and social media is gasoline i thought you were going to say oxygen (laughs) It's not that scientific. And as I know from testing all of my social media accounts all the time, um, I'm always looking for the best content to post because that's what really brings in the, the, the likes and um, the retweets. Wow. That, that was yeah. a deep quote. I liked that. Yeah, thank you. Um, now, moving on though, <laughs> bur- bur- burning, putting fuel to the fire. Um, I guess if we think about some of the principles that go into social media marketing, like, you know, I thought when I first started uh, my marketing career and, and even just learning about marketing at university, I was like, great, we've got an influencer campaign. We'll put on an on Instagram. We'll put some spend behind it. Great. We'll maybe run a competition. We've got ourselves some social media marketing. But um, the more reading I've done, the more experience I've collected and the more um, very smart experts that I've been fortunate to speak with or learn from. No, that's definitely not the case. <laughs> um, so it's very, very layered. And before we get to the digital part, we have to think about the analog component of social media. And that is the community or the, the people that are engaging with that, just like any good marketing activity. Um, and those communities will form our target audience that we want to speak to on social media. And the key things to watch out for and to think about when identifying your community would be, you know, how are they speaking online? What's their language? Just like any culture. What kind of symbols and value systems that they believe in online? Um, And how do they represent themselves visually as well? That might be 
uh, specific fonts they might choose to use on social media. There might be specific uh, emojis that might mean certain things on certain forums. Um, and just understanding some of those base principles of culture can really help then shape our social media strategy going forward. Yeah, I think tribes or, or communities are the backbone of, of social media. Uh, and we know that from how social media sort of started, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a couple of things here. First of all is it's, it's great from a targeting point of view because if you can target people based on hobbies or who they engage with or what kind of uh, content they like, you can understand that tribe and you can get super granular to target them with a message that is going to be uh, much better received, uh, much more relevant to them. Um, but then the cool thing is that you can actually then add more traditional layers of targeting over that tribe. So you take that that element of what are they interested in, what are their hobbies, what do they engage with, and then you can put behavioral um targeting measures over that so you can talk about you know do you have any purchasing behavior data what did they purchase last time or what other sort of things do they interact with online um you can target based on connections so who what other brand pages are they connected with and then you go demographics and geographic as well so i think by understanding that tribe or community that that is the analog element of social mm. media you can take your targeting to a whole other level which is really cool yeah, definitely. And it sets the basis of a good social media strategy going forward because as we'll see in other, the other principles, it will always come back to the person and the, and the problem we're trying to solve for the users within the community. Yeah, I think it, it leads on to uh, another principle, which, which is uh, organic versus paid posting or mm. boosting as, mm. it, as it's known in, in the industry. Boost! <laughs> well, that was a really good <laughs> reference. That was a while since I've heard the boost ad. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, organic versus paid, I really thought about this for a while because from what you sort of hear in the industry, it was organic is dead. Uh, you, the algorithm doesn't really reward organic anymore. So just use social media as paid posting as a, as a reach driving platform like you would use TV. Uh, but actually, I think uh, there's another way of thinking about this. And I've tried to make my own sort of scale uh, mm. of how this works. And, and in my mind, this is how I see it. If your brand has high emotional connection to that tribe uh, or community that you are engaging with, do organic content. Hmm. Because what I found is that uh, reading a book by Stephen Dahl on social media, uh, really great book, by the way, recommended. There's a 2018 edition that was released last year, um, is that brands act as a conduit for communities to connect. And what you find is that those communities uh, actually engage with other people in that com community and they use your brand content as the topic to talk about. Mm. So it brings people together for that conversation. So an example might be Nike might post something, some really interesting content about uh, breaking the two-hour marathon. Mm. And people, some people might interact directly and say to Nike, hey, Nike, that's cool. But most people are actually going to comment and talk to each other because they're fans of the brand and fans of what they were doing. So... If you have that in mind and you're a well-loved brand and you can check those sorts of metrics, you can get testing done, do the organic content because it will probably go quite well. The opposite end of it is that if you are a brand that is quite utilitarian and people don't have a strong emotional connection to it, it might be a bank or an insurance company or something like that, don't do organic content because the thing is that 
people won't want to engage about your content, they'll probably just ridicule you, mm. especially on platforms like Twitter, where people want to be seen as the smartest person in the room and have that witty comment. So if you're a bank and you post on Twitter, hey, tell us about your favorite banking experience with us, you're probably just going to get a whole long list of contents and, and not nice things said about you. Yeah, definitely. Probably not a great strategy to go out with <laughs> um, if you're a bank on Twitter. There's some very um sharp and funny people on 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 the platform that could probably take yeah. advantage of a question like that and that isn't a made-up example yeah <laughs> the banks and insurance companies that actually have done that in the past and and it's quite fun reading the comments that is yeah exactly i think um building off that point we you know when we decide to do uh organic uh versus uh boosted content i think key thing we have to think about is always like what is the content that we're going to post um because we can't do social media marketing without it and when it comes to content, we could think about, I guess there's four key, uh, four key areas that we could look into. One would be written content. Um, so if it was just a text post, that could be a comment back to a fan or a follower. That could be a status update. Or if you're operating within a very niche forum space, like, or maybe if you're even posting on Reddit, if you're a very small brand or company, uh, that you might only be able to communicate via text, but that's still content that you're planning to put out there. Uh, next on, we'll have uh, visual content, so either static images or also videos that go on, on onto social media accounts. And then the thing that bleeds off uh, of that will be also be GIFs. So we know that animations, uh, when it comes to images, produce much higher viewability and engagement uh, with users. So it's probably why you see heaps of GIFs around. Um, and the final piece of content you can think about, which is uh, a piece of content that is uh, really, really loved by us here at The Marketing Show, is audio. Mm. And are you going to put out a piece of audio-specific uh, content as well? Yeah, uh, just a couple of comments on what you've you've mentioned there. Um, I noticed you said GIF or GIF. Uh, do you want to just clarify which way you want to go on that? Look, I, I noticed it within myself as well. <laughs> I feel like if I go 50-50, I'm, uh, I'm going to be halfway right and I'm pleasing everyone. <laughs> You're covering all your bases. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is you mentioned Reddit as, as a social yeah. media site. Um, I just wanted to share uh, one of my favorite things about Reddit is that if you try and book advertising with Reddit, uh, it's actually just a credit card portal. <laughs> which I think is, is really refreshing in a world of media agencies and, and you know, having to call up the media owner and oh, use programmatic buying and <laughs> Reddit's just enter your credit card. Details, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love it. Uh, so to your point, uh, you said sort of think about the type of content you're producing. I, I found uh, some, some stats that would help you then optimize that content for uh, either engagement uh, or it just making sure that you receive the impressions that you want. So, um, but some of the things you can think about is that there was some research uh, I found from uh, a website called ResearchGate uh, from last year. And they found that if you have a human face in your Instagram images, uh, or as the thumbnail of the video, it has a human face on it, you are going to increase your number of likes by 38% and comments by 32%. Yeah, wow. So Jeez. really important. If you want to drive that engagement, put a human face in it. Um, and then if you're putting video out there, uh, specifically on Facebook, uh, the optimal Facebook video length is 60 to 90 seconds. So these guys, BuzzSumo, uh, yeah. analysis company, uh, took 100 million videos from Facebook and that's the optimal length that they found in terms of, um, 
uh, how far people view into videos. Mm. So 60 to 90 percent had the best completion rates. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. So a couple of cu- couple of little tips to help when you're creating that content. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, it's one of those things that if you think about the quality of your content, it's uh, sometimes it's hard to you know, see the link of going that extra mile to create that really high quality video or to engage a really great creative team. Um, but oftentimes if you produce great content in the first place, it's going to help your boosted posts just go that much further as well. Mm. So um, definitely think about if you're looking at uh, where you should prioritize your spend, looking at prioritizing your spend within your creative, um, a little bit more so than your, your boosted posts as well. Mm. that'll help go a long way yeah you could put millions of dollars behind bad creative and you might get a lot of impressions uh but you might not get a lot of people actually engaging with that content or just remembering it yeah exactly it um i think uh building off that like we also know that once we uh do produce content there's different times that you might want to post that content so really key principle is that when you are looking at who your target audience is and you're planning to post understanding on that specific platform when they're most going to be active is going to be a really really important key point you know i think oftentimes we know that posting at 6 p.m on a weeknight uh, is a great time to post because people are either at home or they're commuting on their way home and they're on their phones and that can be a great time to actually engage with them but for specific uh, posts um, might be better around lunchtime for a specific audience as well or it might be really seasonal that you actually just want to do all your posting for a Christmas ad for example around Christmas makes sense <laughs> uh, look and I think uh, there, there are definitely times that are optimal in terms of general usage of social media as you said uh, after work on the commute uh, or after school um, but then there's also what's best for you uh, and and you you will sort of learn that as you post more things you can test it I think even as a live example you know Mark you and I have tried different days or times that we publish our podcast episodes yeah to see which gets the better initial uptake and and the most listens um and and we found sort of a, a time and day that works for us um i think timing uh can then go sort of another step so one of the things i found was uh if you integrate social media campaigns into a broader multi multimedia approach you actually get a uh, a kicker you get a better result than if you did just social media or just other types of media for example tv um so why i'm talking about this in terms of timing is that you if you're integrating into a total campaign you might want to time your social media posts to when perhaps there's a certain event in your campaign that you're amplifying at that time or your tv ads are running um, you could even link it so that your social media ads appear on someone's phone as they're watching tv and the ad breaks on and your ad is on mm. um, so the, the, the sort of study behind this and, and how this works is that uh, this comes from uh, Facebook. So Facebook did a study in South Korea uh, using Nielsen's total advertising ratings uh, applied across 10 different uh, cross-platform advertising campaigns. So essentially they, they took 10 campaigns that were going on across different multiple platforms uh, and they, they, they sort of assessed how they went. Um, what they found was that if you combine Facebook with TV, you actually extend your reach. So there's an incremental reach opportunity. Um, it's 19% incremental reach versus if you just did TV alone. Okay. So, so already you're seeing a benefit for doing Facebook with it. Um, if you combine TV and digital marketing in general, you actually get a 60% kicker effect, um, which is a higher ROI on that spend. 
Mm. So whatever you wanted that action to be, whether it was a purchase or a click or whatever, the ROI was 60% better. Um, and what they found actually was that 70% of the audiences across those campaigns that were being reached on Facebook were considered to be light TV users. So even though they might be captured as part of a TV audience that you would be targeting, there's a good chance that because they're a light TV user, they might not be watching TV when your ad's going. And the final thing is that 94% of Americans have their smartphone on them when they're watching TV. So that's, that, there's a couple of stats there that really make sense that if you're running campaigns on TV and other platforms, backing it up with social media and getting that timing right is super important to drive that, that increased ROI and that incremental reach. Yeah, definitely. And I think even thinking back to my own personal usage, like my phone is always in my hand now, right? So like no matter what uh, uh, activity almost I'm doing that's like non-sport related, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm so close to my phone and hearing that stat around 90% of Americans, you know, holding their phone while watching traditional media. Can you imagine like how, how, what that stat would look like for out of home media? Like if you, you know, engaging with a, uh, a billboard or a piece of out of home creative, um, probably on your phone at the same time as well. So really interested to, to learn about the crossovers between uh, the traditional and the digital world as well. Yeah, out of home and then maybe specific out of home uh, outdoor sort of media in commutes like train station yeah. environments and buses and things like that. You're probably going to be on your phone during those com- commutes listening to a podcast perhaps. And you might want to have a podcast ad that's going on and then a social media when they flick to Facebook and then they see it in the train and you really integrate that all together. Exactly. I think we just really need to go out hard with a TV campaign for the marketing show. I think it's the <laughs> it's the next step that we need. Exactly. Um, great. So I guess building on that, another key principle is about uh, creating a content calendar. So understand that, you know, we can time our certain posts, but seeing how we're going to do that over a planned and scheduled period of time. Um, this can do a lot of things. One, it can help you be really clear and proactive about actually getting your creative right and having your creative ready to go before you can post, which can take a lot of stress off your business, but can also just be enable you a little bit of buffer to make sure you're getting the best creative possible. Um, and a really cool way that once you have all your content uh, scheduled ready to go, especially if you're using multiple social media accounts, is to use an awesome, awesome tool called Hootsuite. Um, they're an absolute hoot, but, (laughs) (laughs) and the reason Hootsuite are fantastic is that you can plug in all of your different social media channels and you can specifically put all your different business accounts, or if you're like me, you can put all your different personal social media accounts that you're constantly testing. And within Hootsuite, you'll just have one really clean, amazing portal to time all your posts. So you could sit down at one day upload all of your content, all of the text that's going to go with your posts, all of the links that's going to happen, set it for specific times, and then maybe not have to worry about it for a month because it's going to post it for you at those planned times for you really, really, really well. This can do a few things. One is that it makes sure you, you, if you are going out with a really specific message, that you're going as big as possible across all your different social media accounts at the best time to have the biggest impact. However, if you wanted to have different tailored messages for different people on the different platforms, let's say you're running a LinkedIn ad as well as a Pinterest ad, for example, you could plan them to go at different times because those different platforms and your users on those platforms might be active at different times. Mm. It's really important because if you are, if you're well organized and planned, it frees up your time to be unplanned. And what I mean by that is reactive posts. Mm. So by having that all under control and you just don't set and forget, right? Mm. 
then an event happens. And one of the great things about that is if something happens, social media just buzzes with it, right? People start talking about it, there's a conversation. And if you want to inject your brand into that conversation, you can be ready and waiting for that to happen instead of going, oh, I'd love to be in that, but I'm, I'm preparing my post for tomorrow night. Mm. Uh, so I think being organized helps you to be a little bit unorganized in a sense. But what about, uh, what about competitors? I know you were mentioning to me, Mark, about you know, you've got your own content calendar, but what can you do about them? Yeah, I think one of the great things about uh, looking at your competitors on social media is to actually start tracking what they're doing. Um, and there's a few things that you'd want to be tracking for your competitors. One is just having a look at what general times they're posting, how maybe how frequently they're posting versus your brand. But another really great practice to do is to actually look and deep dive into what creative they're posting. So if you're, if you're a business or a brand, make sure you're following all of your competitors. And every time you do see that they post something, you screenshot it and you file it away. Um, an easy way to do this would be to screenshot it and put it into maybe a PowerPoint presentation and just to have all the images there and the date and the time that's there. And this will help you kind of have an awesome back catalog of things to look on when you're building your strategies for your business or brand in the future because you have all this awesome resource and information. It can help you be really different in your content as well. Um, and on top of that, you just have some great data to, to work with. But doing that process, although it seems very manual, will help you be really focused and engaged with what your competitors are actually doing. You might notice some small details and just become an expert on your competitors at the same time. Yeah, it's a great way to do some reconnaissance on, on what they're up to. Even just basic uh, information of what products are they launching and, yeah. and supporting with their ads. Uh, I think one of the great things you can do is you won't be able to tell how much spend they're putting behind posts to boost them. So it's, it's hard to measure sort of whether they're good or bad social media ads in that sense. But what you can look at is engagement. So you might not see engagement rate per se, but you'll see how many people liked, mm. how many people shared, how many people comment. And then you can go into the comments and openly see are people saying positive things about that content or or negative things or neutral things i think it's just a great way to get a read of your competitor brands yeah definitely mm. i think once we've done that as well a really great thing to do uh is to also see how you're going to track and optimize your own content like you've got this awesome flow you understand some of the principles you've got some great content planned uh, ready to go and once it's live actually knowing how it's going to perform well is going to be really important now, within the world of social media, there can be a lot of different scary metrics to go on. Um, I personally, anytime I hear a new acronym, I'm like, wait, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how to go about it. And then we have to do some research to find out whether or not the social media metric that's been updated is going to be a real metric or if it's going to be a vanity metric. Now, some of the most, imp uh, some great metrics to look at when it comes to your social media accounts that we at The Marketing Show think are really, really fantastic and best practice to use are one, your audience growth rate. So if you're a new business or brand and you've just started your account, it's really cool to track how fast you're actually growing. Um, so a, a, a great way to do this is to see how quickly you gain followers uh, at a set month and using that same time period each month to so just do a little check-in. And a way you can do that is you can uh, measure the new net numbers of followers that you gained in that specific month and then divide that by your total follower count. Um, and you can do that exact same thing for your competitors at the same time period. And you can see if you're growing faster than them or not um, and maybe dig into, the into some of the reasons as to why. And it's a great almost game for yourself to see if you can grow faster the next month than you did the month previously. Mm -hmm. 
which is an awesome, awesome chart to then visualize yourself as well. <laughs> um, but it also, the, the cool thing about that metric is it, is it shows kind of from a really big picture perspective if all the other small details and groundwork that you're doing is actually adding up to the big picture as well, which is probably the most important part. Following on that, um, you can also look at how you can track and optimize your reach. So reach is a really, really important metric and we know we can have either reach or engagement as our key focus. Reach being the amount of time, uh, amount of people that have uh, been served or seen your ad. Um, whereas engagement will be the amount of times that someone has liked, clicked on or shared or interacted with your ad. Cool thing about reach is that you know that someone has actually seen your message and is engaged with it in some element. So from a creative and a media perspective, that job is done. Um, and the way you can, uh, a cool way to measure reach is to look at the reach figure from your ad and then divide it by your followers and multiply it by 100 to get your post reach percentage. So that'll be for an organic post. How many of your followers actually saw your posts? Um, and which is a really cool metric to then take into when you boost content to see that if you do end up paying for ads, how much uplift are you actually getting for that money? Uh, and you can then decide whether or not you're a brand or a business that will benefit from continuing with paid ads, or if you're probably better off just investing in even better creative and just continue with organic posting. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said that um, the you were talking about the audience growth rate and that would be good for new businesses. And, and the reason I say that is because what metrics you choose to, to, I guess, monitor and optimize towards really depends on what kind of a business you are, whether you're a new business or a mature business or whatever you might be and what you're, what you're trying to do. So are you trying to just reach lots of people with a generic brand message or are you trying to engage people with relevant content? Uh, and then the metrics you choose to measure will, will differ. So you don't have to always choose the same metric as everyone else. And, and the other part of it is, as you said, there's so many metrics and they're changing all the time between flat platforms in terms of how those metrics are defined. Um, I came across an article when I was researching this, which said the most important 68 metrics you should be tracking. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, just we those finally, 68. We finally narrowed it down. <laughs> yeah, I know it was so hard before with the 220. Um, so look, you touched on a lot of important ones there. You, you talked about reach, how many people saw your ad. Frequency, how many times uh, did each person see your ad? So is it content you want them to see over and over again until they can't bear your brand? <laughs> um, often you can do things like frequency capping so that mm. they don't see it more than a certain number of times to avoid that. Um, so underneath that, you've got impressions. So that was how many times was your ad seen, mm -hmm. uh, not how many people saw your ad. And what that means is that if you got a reach of 100, but your impressions were 200, it means that everyone watched it twice. Mm. Uh, so that's an important one. Now, the thing that always confused me for a long time in social media was what is a view when you're talking about videos? <laughs> yeah. Because for a while, all of the different platforms defined a view differently. Now, more recently, we've had what they call the MRC or the Media Ratings Council come in and define some of these things across the industry. And a lot of the platforms are now adhering to those definitions. So a video view is when someone views the first three seconds. So if you run a video and it says you got 100 views, it means 100 people watch the first three seconds. So it's really important to keep that in mind because if your video was 10 minutes long, you have to define yourself whether you count that as mm. a view and, and what you consider to be uh, worthwhile of a view. Um, there's a slight variation for Twitter. So d Twitter actually adds in a viewability metric. And I'll, I'll define that in a second. But they say 
they have to have watched the first three seconds, but the video must have been 100% in view, as in like on their screen so that it weren't half scrolled past it or something like that. And that's what we call viewability. So viewability is another really confusing one because um, essentially you can get uh, your ad out there, but you want to know how many people or what percentage of people actually had the chance to view your ad once it was served to them. So viewability means that um, when you serve the ad to someone, did they have a fair chance of seeing it? And how that's measured is it's defined by if it's a static ad, 50% of the ad was loaded for one second. Mm. That would be considered viewable. And for a video, 50% of the uh, ad was loaded for two seconds on their screen. Yeah. So really important because if you break all of that down, it starts to really sort of unpick what a view means and what viewability is as, I guess, like a qualifier of how, how tangible that view is. How was it a real view? So good things to know. Uh, it really confused me for a while. Um, we talked about engagement, so you can measure your engagement rate, your percentage of audience that liked, commented, or shared your content. Uh, click-through rate uh, is pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Um, you can also, on top of click-through, you could have a conversion rate. So instead of just clicking through, if you have a specific action that you want people to take, whether it's sign up to a newsletter, subscribe to something, or purchase something, you can optimize to that metric. So you're going all the way through to, to where you want them to go and see what percentage of your audience is doing that. Yeah, definitely. And um, it's really cool because then when you, if you do get it right for the specific metric that you want, so say if you're really optimizing for conversion, um, you can really go back and see what are the patterns and the trends that got you to that point. Mm. You know, was it the time of day you posted? Was it the creative that you posted that was good? And sometimes it's hard to get everything accurate and right when you do that deep dive, but being really aware for it and doing the tests and having the background data can help you keep moving forward, which is really, really cool. Totally. I think speaking of optimizing, uh, one of the things that we can do is, is optimize for mobile viewing of content. So, uh, what, it, it, 75% of all video content worldwide is viewed on a mobile phone. Mm. It's pretty crazy, right? Um, it would have been very different a few years ago. Mm. Um, and if you keep that in mind and you're creating video content, make sure that it's formatted for mobiles. And what we mean by that is the, the actual aspect of the video should fit mobile screens uh, and, and make sure that it fits both vertical, uh, so have vertical options, and you can have landscape options that fit in the square for different platforms as well. So really think that through when you're creating things. Um, cool stat is that if you optimize for vertical format video, you will get a three to nine point ad recall boost on your, on your brand. So really basic yeah. one that's got a, a hard sort of defined outcome, positive outcome. Yeah, definitely. I think also like it, if you go to like a, a bus or a, maybe a large sporting game or a place where lots of people where be, will be on their phones and if they're watching video, check out how many of them are like really watching in like a proper landscape mode and observing the human behaviors of, of how they're interacting with their devices in that world. Like a lot of them are really just watching them vertically. So capturing and optimize your content to that will really, really help you get the best bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. And if you want specifics on um, what sizes you should actually create for video content, if you go to the uh, the media owner's yeah. site, so Facebook or Snap or whoever it may be, they will actually list that out for you. So you'll go to their business section of their site and be able to find that and then create your ad to that spec. 
Yeah, exactly. It's an awesome thing to have proactively in the background when you're already briefing your creative agency for your creative content. So you can make sure that just from the get-go, like you're already thinking about optimizing it because um, there's no use seeing a piece of content that looks awesome on your big computer screen at home, maybe on your desktop, when realistically no one's really going to be watching or engaging with it in that format. Yeah, it's uh, something that I always liked when I was younger and, and listening to a lot of music and really getting into it was I read a review that said, you know when something's good that sounds good when you listen to it through great speakers, but then when you put on those like really crappy old headphones mm. and, and you listen to it and they've maybe been through the wash a few times and it still sounds cool, yeah. that's when you know you've got good music or a good yeah. album. And I think it's the same here, right? Like you watch it on a big screen in your office, uh, but then put it on like an old cracked, you know, iPhone and see if it still looks good. Yeah, definitely. And a really cool thing is a lot of publishers um, will allow you to preview your content before it actually goes live. So if you have optimized for mobile, if you're using, for example, Facebook, Facebook's Creative Studio, when you log in, will let you preview it on your own device, on your own content before it goes live. So just for a bit of fun, sometimes you can even just go on the couch yourself, put on the telly, um, open your the preview of your ad on your own phone and try to really get into the mindset of someone that's going to be served your ad and see if it resonates within that environment. Yeah, and they'll put it in your uh, your personal Facebook feed as well. Yeah. So you'll be scrolling normally and it'll be popping up over the next 24 hours like a real ad. Exactly, and see, um, just really be open and honest with yourself and see how you engage with it uh, within that context and try and get some of your friends or family or your colleagues to also do the same thing if they haven't seen the ad yet just to do a bit of a live test as well. Yeah, always good to get a few other people's opinions on that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think now uh, moving on to another metric, uh, which is really cool, which is share of voice. So uh, share of voice would be when it comes to a social media landscape would be how many people are mentioning your brand on that particular social media platform. So there's two ways that this can happen. One would be direct. So that could an example of that would be someone mentioning us on Instagram at the marketing show pod and if you haven't already give us a follow <laughs> and uh an indirect way that uh that could happen or uh someone could uh, mention your brand would be just saying the marketing show maybe it's on a comment or maybe it's a hashtag as well and using all those uh those mentions you can count them and record them and then you can do the exact same for your competitors and see how many mentions they're getting within that same time period then you can add up all the met all the mentions in your market and then divide your mentions by the total market's mentions uh, and then times it by 100 to find out what percentage uh, are you getting versus the total market. And that'll show your uh, share of voice and just let you know like how within the total market that you play in, how often are people like speaking about you and engaging with you? And it's a really, really great metric to see where you stand. Yeah. And you might do that and then ask yourself, well, what should my share of voice be? Yeah. And, and as a benchmark, it always helps to think, well, say uh, you've got a product in a specific category in the market. You might look at what your market share of sales is for that category mm. and then say, as, as a benchmark, I want my share of voice to be at least the same as my share of market. I think it's a good place to start. Yeah, definitely. And also remember that, you know, even if you're if you're a smaller brand and your metric is quite small, if you're tracking it and you're doing some killer social media, who knows, you might creep up uh, over the coming months or all the different time periods. 
Um, and having that data will be really cool to see what you did well, uh, what you did poorly if you're going down and just looking at your co- the same for your competitors and keeping that tracking going can really help you optimize for your future campaigns as well. Totally. Now, Mark, before we talked about um, optimizing for things like mobile and and we talked about how that could be different, different specs for different platforms, right? And what about platforms? You know, I think it's really important to, to have a, a grip on the different platforms that are out there and how people behave different differently on those platforms based on how they're set up uh, and also, I guess, the type of people on those platforms. And then what you might want to do uh, in terms of having the right content and the right conversations in those environments. So I've, I've done a little bit of a breakdown of some of the top uh, social media sites, mm. just some of the favorites, uh, and, and given a little bit of a summary of, of the, the sort of key behaviors of people that differ on those platforms versus others, and then an example of what you might want to do. Nice. So starting from uh, Twitter, so when you look at Twitter, uh, if you really think about it, what you've got is a really engaged and thoughtful audience. Uh, and they're, they're there looking for other like-minded individuals to post witty remarks about things, um, to be thought leaders, uh, and to sort of be, I guess, having their say on the news of the day uh, it is sort of the primary, primary thing you see in Twitter. So what this means for a brand is that if you aren't a loved brand in air quotations, uh, you don't have a strong emotional connection like we talked about up the top, you might want to be really careful on Twitter because you'll probably get ridiculed. Mm. Um, so Twitter is a, a place where people love to grandstand and have the funniest comment and be the smartest person in the room. So if you're a brand that maybe doesn't have that much uh, critical mass in terms of people who really like your brand, you might get ridiculed and then people will like that and post other things under that. So that's a, that's a watch out there. Moving on to things like Facebook, it's much more casual. It's, it's about sharing information, uh, news and images between friends. So what, what you find on Facebook is that a lot of people aren't making new connections that they haven't met in real life on Facebook. They're actually just engaging with people that they know and have met through friends of friends. And just you just keep adding people on Facebook after you've met them in real life, right? Mm-hmm. So this means that the type of content they're consuming is, is fun and casual content that they want to share with their friends and tag them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you might want to make very shareable content that people are interested in and want to share with their friends. Uh, Instagram. Uh, much more aspirational aesthetic and um, I guess a bit of a glorification of, of the lifestyle in a sense. It's a bit look at me and look how great my life is uh, mm. and very visual, obviously, through the format. So what what you want to do there is is try and be that aspirational figure or piece of content that they want to interact with just because it's beautiful. So your brand might not be as prominent here. You might just make really great looking content uh, that's kind of aspirational that people just want to do that double click on and like on. And that's how they want to engage there. Uh, And then final example would be LinkedIn. You've got a really engaged audience and they've got planned usage of this platform usually. So they're on there because they're trying to further their career, learn more, make connections. And here they probably want to make new connections they haven't met face-to-face yet. Mm. It's much more like networking. Um, So you want to add value to them. So maybe it's direct messaging with something that's relevant to them. Uh, Think about recruiters trying to offer people jobs. They they want to give them something of value through direct message. Um, or, Or even just presentations, information, um, or connections that might be valuable to that person, just get straight to the point. Yeah, definitely. I think when you look at link, like the different platforms targeting, 
as well, like in terms of how you buy their media. Oftentimes, it'll help you kind of give an idea as to what kind of content you're going to be uh, producing. So I think uh, when we were looking at uh, some LinkedIn ads for uh, the Marketing Show podcast, when we drew it down to the targeting, we could even target people in a specific region that worked at a specific company. And by offering that level of targeting, you know, we knew who was obviously speaking to a very, very professional audience um, and that we wasn't going to be a place for necessarily uh, the same type of content that we would have posted on Instagram or, or even Facebook, um, surely just based on the targeting options that were available. So I think uh, those kind of things can also give you a really cool indication of what kind of creative you should be going out to have your message land. Mm, totally, totally. And I, I think that was a learning for us, right? Was that LinkedIn people... People weren't necessarily searching for new podcasts there. Yeah, you know. So what what ends up being maybe more relevant is is actually more sort of SEO and SEM uh, sort of ads for us, and and that was a good learning, I think. Exactly. But if you did come from LinkedIn and you stayed, um, we're really happy to have you on board our learning journey. <laughs> yeah. Th- thanks for increasing <laughs> that click through rate. Exactly it. Um, now I think Mark, when, you know, once we look at all these different uh, social media platforms, some of the key metrics we're going to be looking out for, we've set up some great stuff on Hootsuite, right? I think it really comes down to just going out there and testing, like just go out, try a whole bunch of things, have a bit of fun, have your structure with uh, the metrics that you want to go after and be really flexible and opening to trying things no matter how crazy they are. Maybe that's really being provocative in your creative. Maybe that's posting a very radically different time of the day because uh, that's what your your data is showing you. Or maybe that's using a completely new and diverse platform that you haven't thought about. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, the, the barrier to entry on social media in terms of advertising is really low, especially if you talk about yeah. organic content. It's literally just about making the content and getting it out there. Um, and, and if you are doing paid ads, because you can be so granular in your targeting, it can actually be quite cost effective as well. So don't be afraid to just get stuff out there and give it a go. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that it's flexible in terms of it's fast to upload things and, yeah. and take things down as well. So unlike TV where you need to send the asset over, it gets planned many weeks in advance and then goes live and you can't do much about it once it's gone live. Yeah. It, social media is the opposite of that. It, it's super flexible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, Mark, we've learned some really, really cool uh, principles today on social media. Um, what kind of case studies did you come across this week that kind of put a lot of this into action? Yeah, uh, big brand, Nike. Nice, I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you have. So uh, the reason I chose Nike is, uh, so a bit of context, I've got some of the basics that they really nail. Uh, and then I've also got a bit of a case study on on a campaign, specific campaign where they utilize social media really well. But uh, the reason I chose Nike is because I searched on Google top most followed Instagram accounts. And Nike is one of the only branded accounts that's in the top 20 most followed accounts in the world, which I think is pretty cool. As a brand, you're up there with Kim Kardashian and Miley Cyrus. It's absolutely huge. Yeah. And and we talked about that emotional connection to a brand. Obviously, that exists for Nike. Uh, Just by the sheer number of people that are uh, uh, following them, want to know what they're doing and engaging with their content. Um, but the other thing I really liked was we, we talked about there was a stat up the top, which was using human faces in your images. And mm. I actually searched Nike's Instagram page from my desktop because I was researching. Um, and it when you go on Instagram on your desktop and click on someone's page, it actually gives you all of their images like a bit, bit of a photo wall that you can scroll yeah, through rather than yeah. one at a time. And 
every single Nike image or thumbnail of a video on Instagram has a human face in it. Whoa. And for me, it clicked. I was like, these guys get it. Yeah. And so I, I started going down the rabbit hole from there. So what Nike, I think, does well at a really base level is that they leverage that tribe. Mm. So what they've done is they have a Nike account and then they've set up sub accounts on all of their social media platforms. So you've got Nike Sport, Nike Golf, Nike Running, Nike Women, uh, lots of different sub accounts, even Nike Skateboarding. So they're really trying to leverage the conversations that people are having and get in there by, by being that identifier of the tribe. So that if you're a skateboarder, you like Nike Skateboards and then you will comment on their content and engage with other skateboarders, right? So that was the first thing. I think they do that really well. The other thing I think that they do really, really well is that they they use multiple platforms as part of integrated campaigns um, and they understand the nuances of those platforms, which we just discussed before. So they have their Instagram, which is super aspirational and mm. inspirational with images that have human faces in them. So really easy to connect visually. Um, they have Facebook. They limit the number of posts they actually post on their Facebook, um, but they, when they do it, it's to drive big conversation pieces. So one of the things that they put on Facebook, but not on other platforms, was uh, a piece of content uh, around Kevin Hart running a marathon recently. Yeah, nice. So they usually keep it to their celebrity content there, which people want to talk about and share with their friends. Uh, then if you move on to YouTube, they actually use YouTube to drive conversation with longer form content. So what they might do is they'll put a, a post about say a new technology or shoe on say Facebook or Instagram as an ad. Uh, and then on YouTube, they'll have a video breakdown, long form content of the technology that goes into that shoe and allows people to ask questions and really engage in that content and with each other about this new shoe that's coming out and how it's got these weird little micro bead balls thing in the bottom to have a cloud-like feel, say. Mm. Um, I think that was their latest shoe I saw on there. So they really get that. Uh, the other thing is that they get the balance between organic and paid posts, right? So they are a brand that can do organic posts, I think, uh, and they, they do it quite well because they've got that emotional connection there. But then, as I said, they do a lot of dark posts, which we didn't clarify above, but dark posts are when you pay for an ad on social media but it doesn't get posted to your page publicly mm. so you'll be served the ad but if you went to nike's page you wouldn't see it there on on, on their page mm. so they do that for things like their new shoe tech that's coming out but then with things that are more inspirational and conversation styles they just post it on the page as organic content yeah. that people want to want to comment on um, so there's some basics I think Nike are really nailing, uh, but in terms of a specific case study from Nike, I'm talking about the um, hashtag breaking two initiative. And what this was, was uh, it was the launch for a new shoe and this new shoe was created to help marathon runners do a marathon in less than two hours, which would be a record. So really, really crazy feats that they wanted to undertake together with these runners. Um, and to do that, they created the Nike Zoom Vaporfly Elite Racing Shoe. Wow. Which I think I need some. I, I think so I'm so close to, to breaking <laughs> that too myself. Um, I'm like, uh, yeah, I think I'm at 30 seconds off. So I think maybe the, these shoes can help me get over Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't actually call you up for this one. Um, uh, I was actually really busy that uh, day. Of yeah. course, of course. Well, look, so in 2017, Nike wanted to attempt to beat uh, the two-hour uh, time for a marathon, uh, or also known as the holy grail of running. Yeah. yeah pretty serious stuff. Um, so what did they do? They, they, they drove hype 
uh, and conversation with an initial announcement six months before on social media. So at the end of 2016, they got social media buzzing with speculation saying, we're going to break this. And that's it. Um, from there, they used 60 to 90 second videos on Facebook to drive further engagement. Um, and that's literally, it was like, 90 seconds or less between 60 mm. and 90 always so they got that straight away um uh, in order to get people involved um they had backgrounds like series of backgrounds about the specific runners that were going to be attempting um the two-hour record uh and lots of information that was sort of i guess like spoon-fed out in the lead up over a number of months to keep the engagement going um they brought their tribe together in the moment so they, first of all, they created something which people genuinely wanted to engage with. It wasn't just a brand ad. It was, it was a record attempt. It was really exciting. Um, and they had 13.1 million people watch the live stream of it globally across YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, and by live streaming that event, which was held at the Monza Race Circuit in Italy, um, Nike allowed fans and its tribe members to track, not only track the progress of the race and how they were going, but share that moment together and talk to each other about it. Um, I don't know about you, Mark, but if you've ever like live stream sports and there's like a chat box next yeah. to the screen, that banter between fans is just awesome. Like people yeah. love having a bit of banter about a live sporting event. So I think they did that really well. Um, they, in terms of results, they had the hashtag breaking two had 84,000 mentions within the first two days of announcing and then another 140,000 mentions within the six months leading up to the event. Um, the other thing that they did was we talked about uh, the the human face element of things and, and they really brought this to life um, to aid that uh, audience connection by partnering with National Geographic. So Nike actually made uh, uh, a two-hour, a two-and-a-half-hour Nat Geo documentary mm. about this. So the lead-up, background on the runners, their family history, what they'd done to get to this place, which uh, was then turned into content that was seeded through Nat Geo's social media accounts and YouTube as well, and then an actual full documentary, uh, which, which was released afterwards. So I just think it's a really great campaign that integrated lots of different platforms they understood the nuances really well it was almost scientific uh and at the end of the day they didn't forget what social media about which is that tribe which is the backbone of all social media and they leverage that to bring people together in a moment there's an awesome case study <laughs> 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 which is at the high five on the pod um i'm glad yeah, you like it that's really really cool i think uh one of my favorite things about that case study is you know, being a Nike nerd and knowing that uh, the, one of the founders of Nike, Phil Knight, actually always like disagreed publicly with advertising. He never really thought it was that effective. And the thing I love about that case that he's like, regardless of that founder's mindset, Nike have always produced some of the best creative content in any platform. Mm. You know, it started off with magazines and now they're here doing this awesome social media campaign. And regardless of whether the founder or not believed in it, they still went and just did it anyway. Like, and I yeah. think the examples in that are absolutely amazing. I'm about to like race up my running shoes and, and check them out and try to try to break two myself. Yeah. I, the thing that really stuck out for me through all of that case study is just that intensity about yeah. the detail. Like they really get it. hundred percent. Um, I found a really interesting case study, uh, this week, uh, of a, 
a business that use social media to actually uh, to scale their business really quickly, um, but also to use the natural data metrics that you get when using doing social media marketing to kind of fuel the rest of their business. Um, and they're from a, a really cool uh, startup in India called Junglu, and they are India's largest auto rickshaw aggregator platform. So if, if you think about them, they're like the Uber for rickshaws. Yeah, of course. Naturally, that's the only way I travel in India. Absolutely, and so the, if you are unfamiliar with what a rickshaw is, is it's a popular three-wheeled vehicle um, that is used for getting around, and it's often used for for transporting people around the, the busy streets of, of Indian cities. Um, and the cool thing that they did is that like they had a big job to be done when starting their business, and that was to convert people from using traditional cabs and taxis and even their own rides to using a lot of these unused rickshaws that were just waiting for another ride to pick up. There was a huge gap in the market. Um, and in order to do that, they uh, realized that there were 30 million auto rides uh, that happened in India per day. Per day, it's a huge market to go and disrupt, which is Absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And so what they did is when they were first starting to scale their business, they started to use Facebook demographic data right from the get-go to actually target which cities would be the right cities to start testing and establishing their their market and their app. Um, and I absolutely love this because this is demographic data that's available whenever you're doing uh, sponsored content online. And they were using this as the guiding force to kind of make a decision as to where they really want to focus their efforts and just expand their business, which is so, so, so cool. Um, so when they were using this demographic data, they found uh, they could use their end trip data to see where people were actually getting picked up of and being dropped off to and using that information to detail their creative based on the message they wanted to actually send. And by doing that, they often had a click-through rate of uh, 28% um, and 78% of people that uh that was served the ad actually then went onto the app itself to download and use their first time ever uh, ever ride on a rickshaw, which is fantastic as well. Um, and the cool thing that they did is they optimized their call to actions on their creatives when they were testing their campaigns when they first started. And at first, their, their first job to be done was actually just to install their app. That's all they wanted people to do. They didn't want the people to actually go in and start a ride yet. So to make sure your app's ready on your phone, ready to go. Once they had a pretty good user base, then they wanted to start converting people to actually taking their first ride. And the cool thing is when they decided they had enough of their app base, they then started to look at different ways that they could facilitate that first ever ride straight through Facebook. Um, and the thing that they did really well, which I'm a huge fan of, and we are a big fan of on the Marketing Show podcast, is they used the Facebook Messenger bot. So when they started to scale really rapidly in 2017, they created a Facebook bot that enabled them to cross-pollinate a lot of this data that they were building, and especially around uh, targeted cities, to enable people to order a ride straight through the actual messenger bot. This means this meant that they could just give it a trial and they could bypass the kind of finicky step of downloading the app itself. Um, and the really cool thing is that this uh, delivered 3,000 additional rides um, within the first six months of them doing it. Just 3,000 uh, incremental rides. And 70% of the bot users um, were first-time ever users of the app. And that was so cool that they just built that right into Facebook, which is really, really cool and relatively accessible as well. Yeah. It's a really, it was a really, really cool way for them just to start uh, growing really quickly. And the thing that I really loved on top of that is that their creative, although it wasn't necessarily that fancy when they were launching these campaigns, 
they were just very, very clear and very, very, very legible. So they often had a clean image and text and they just had a very clear call to action. And whatever call to action they mirrored directly in their image, they mirrored the call to action on the Facebook button of their creative. And they also mirrored that call to action somewhere within the uh, text post as well. Um, and the really cool claim that I saw that they used often was they just went out with a simple um, try now. It's 40% cheaper than cabs. Mm. And that was a key message that they pushed out, whether it was through their messenger bot, whether it was through their uh, actual posts. Um, I just thought it was just really basic, really clear way to scale and grow your business using really accessible Facebook data. And the great thing about that is that it's win-win. Like you're doing social media marketing and getting some of the great benefits mm. of it. But you're getting all these awesome insights at, yeah. at the same time. What I really like about that case study is that we said at the very start that uh, India was the biggest market for Facebook. And yeah. they, they used the platform that was being most used to, to do their initial scoping and data collection. So I, I think that's a really great local understanding of, of the market. Uh, and then, as you said, that, that consistency of the creative and the messaging uh optimizing it and then keeping it consistent is, is really key as well to driving a single-minded message and and the other thing is we said throughout this whole pod is that it's all about knowing what you're trying to do and measuring the metrics that matter not doing everything at once and they were really succinct and clear on that which was we want people to download the app we want people to try it for the first time exactly that's awesome really cool um, well, Mark, we've learned some awesome things about uh, social media marketing uh, today. But as we know, uh, when it comes to being great marketers, we have to be really curious and interested in the world around us. So on that note, what have you found interesting this week? I have been revisiting uh, an old favorite uh, music album, which is called Johnny Cash Live at Folsom Prison. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. I was first put onto this uh, when I was watching the Walk the Line biopic of Johnny Cash. And I saw it actually starts with him uh, at Folsom Prison before he performs, but then it flashes back to the whole story. Uh, and I, I just always thought that's kind of cool and interesting. And I didn't really think much of it for a while, but then eventually went and found that there was an, actually an album recorded at Folsom Prison, which Johnny Cash played at. And essentially the, the background on this one is that when he was in the army, he uh, he had read about Folsom Prison in a book uh, and he thought it was really interesting and he used it for inspiration for a song called Folsom Prison Blues. Uh, and then he had this ambition that he wanted to go and perform at Folsom Prison to really sort of complete the circle. Uh, and he didn't do it for a long time and, and he, was, he was meant to be doing it in the middle of his career uh, and his manager was going to get to do it. But then he, uh, if you've sort of seen or read about it, you know, he had a lot of issues with drugs and needed a lot of help getting out of that spiral. And eventually he did. And years later, he went to Folsom Prison and, and he performed. Uh, and it's just one of the most fun, kind of scary, but really cool live albums. There's so much energy in that performance mm. you can tell he really wants it to be special you can just feel the buzz of the prisoners uh loving it uh, and going a bit wild because as you can imagine that kind of entertainment would be pretty few and far between uh in prison uh and <laughs> the the best part for me is that 
uh, you you have Johnny sort of singing a lot of songs that are to do with being in prison. So he's written these stories uh, either from letters that people have sent him about their time in prison or just imagined stories. And and some of those are to do with, you know, the guy that killed his wife or, or the guy that's going to be uh, executed and he makes these funny stories in his songs. And he's singing those live to prisoners at the prison who might actually be in that situation. And you've got these prisoners going absolutely nuts, like lots of yeehaws uh, happening in the background. And I just, it's such a confusing, but just so such a charged moment. I think it, it, in terms of a listening experience, it's, it's just really cool. And I definitely recommend for people to go and check that out. Spotify or wherever you listen to music, Johnny Cash live at Folsom Prison. Yeah, it's a crazy piece of art and something I'm definitely going to check out and read up on at the same time mm. this weekend. So, yeah, nice one. Yeah. What, what about you? What did you find interesting? Yeah, look, um, I've been getting back into the sports um, as, as a form of entertainment. And um, I think growing up, I watched sport oftentimes as uh, a way to get inspiration for the game or the match I was playing on the weekend. It was oftentimes like a very like selfish and analytical pastime. Whereas now it's slowly becoming this awesome form of like cerebral entertainment in a very different way. Um, and so I was really looking for like, what, like what is the best platform for me to catch up on sports news? Like there are lots of sports sites out there um, that, you know, don't create maybe the, the most quality content. It can be quite clickbaity. The interfaces can be quite messy. Um, and you have to, I always found that I had to go to many different sites to find out different things about my different sports. And honestly, it was just, taking up way too much time. Um, however, problem solved. Um, recently downloaded this week, uh, this app called The The Athletic. And they are this awesome content aggregator site um, that uh, have that's a subscription-only app and website. And what they do is they, by uh, paying for a subscription, you're paying for really high-quality, engaged journalism uh, that is exclusive to the app. Uh, and they use that to then not charge any ads and to, to pay their journalists. And it's a beautiful, beautiful inter interface. It has all the major sporting teams, codes and clubs in there at the moment. And not only are they producing this awesome sports quality writing and journalism daily, they've also got this really cool community and they have the ability to post and comment within the app as well. So I find that not only are you getting these really great thought-provoking articles um, on your phone uh, daily, the actual because of the type of people that are using the app, the comment section is also really, really incredibly in depth as well. Um, and when I was first kind of onboarding on the app, uh, there was uh, this awesome example that the app features of a uh, ex Liverpool uh, FC uh, coach Rafael Benitez, and they he actually wrote a almost like a, a resignation letter or his rationale for leaving the club at a particular point in time, and he published it within the app. Um, it wasn't really available elsewhere. And there was just something so in-depth and uh, engaging about reading that. And I kind of wish I had the app at that time because, yeah, just to form this really great connection. And, and oftentimes you have these really high-level experts and commentators and industry leaders who are really in the thick of it, writing these really cerebral contexts. And I think now when I'm going to be watching these games or catch up on highlights, there's going to be this other element of psychology and engagement and kind of mental skin in the game from engaging this app. So 
yeah, I'm really excited to, I guess, like within the, the social media metrics we spoke about right at the top, uh, to be part of a community online. Yeah, start engaging. It's a really great recommendation. I, I think uh, I use Flipboard for news and, and for sports information, uh, sports news as well. And it's, it's, it's got a good algorithm, but you get a lot of uh, stuff that you don't end up wanting to read. And I think this yeah. sounds a little bit more curated uh, and that's where the value is. Um, yeah, just on top of that, the other recommendation I'd have is uh, if you're into Formula One, like I am, the uh, YouTube channel for Formula One has really stepped up over the last couple of years. Yeah, nice. uh, yeah so just check that out if you're into it. There's a great presenter, Will Buxton. Uh, he's phenomenal. He has his own channel as well. And he gets really behind the scenes talks to the drivers. There's like four or five pieces of content per week that's extremely relevant and interesting. Yeah, awesome. Uh, well, guys, thank you for coming on our learning journey. Um, and if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, make sure you subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us a lot. Thank you very much.